Welcome back to CFO Weekly, where we're talking with financial leaders about how to build efficiency in their teams, create time for strategy, and ultimately get results with your host, Megan Weiss. Let's jump right in. Today, my guest is Magdalena Cleveland. Magdalena is a CFO with seven years of experience working on executive teams of small to mid-sized companies. Magdalena specializes in process improvement in the area of accounting and finance and is responsible for the day-to-day operations of the accounting team, as well as serving the CEO as a strategic partner. Magdalena is a powerful force in the workplace and uses her positive attitude and tireless energy to empower others to do more with less and have fun while doing it. Magdalena is inspired daily by her husband and their two sons. In her free time, Magdalena likes to play table tennis with her husband, Phil, crochet, and go on camping trips with her family. Hello, Magdalena, and thank you for joining me today. Good morning. My pleasure. Yeah, today we'll be discussing operational improvements and how to decide what's worth investing in, how best to implement it, and how to get buy-in from a change management perspective. I'm really looking forward to this discussion, so let's get started. Excellent. I'm ready. All right. (laughs) First, (laughs) tell me about your career progression. How is it that you got to where you are today? I have started, I guess, you know, the choice of career really starts with the choice of which college you'll go to and which major you'll take. And originally, I really wanted to be a doctor. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) And my mom talked me out of it. So I'm originally from Poland and, you know, and it just um, finance at the time in Poland seemed like a better career choice. So she talked me out of being a doctor and pushed me a little bit towards the finance and accounting area. And, you know, I finished college back in Poland and came to United States for vacation and never left. Uh (laughs) Ended up going to college here and finished my MBA and finished another master's in accounting. And from there, I, you know, I turned to a local job market. I used to live in Reno, Nevada for 15 years. And I wanted to work for a company that has all aspects of accounting. So what was important to me to not just, you know, have simple accounting processes like accounts payable and accounts receivable and basic financial statements, I wanted to learn something more complex. So one of the biggest employers in Reno is International Game Technology. They manufacture all things casinos. So, you know, slot machines, uh, all kinds of software for floor, casino floor management, you name it, they make it. And they are an international company. And <laughs> funny story about it is I, you know, I had zero, virtually zero experience. I had all this education, but absolutely no experience. And, and I really wanted an interview with the company. And, you know, I, I reached out to the recruiter and, and she seemed interested. And then I just hit a wall and nobody was replying to me. So So I kept following up and following up. And out of the sudden, I got four interviews in one day. 
<laughs> so it was it was super fun experience to to go through that. I needless to say the fourth interview I was so exhausted I completely bombed it. But I got two choice of two positions and I chose audit which over cost accounting. Audit was very very attractive for a couple of reasons. First of all, you get to see pretty much every aspect of the company. It is a very large international company and has subsidiaries all over the world, has every type of accounting you can think of, has all kinds of financial instruments that goes through mergers and acquisitions and all that by nature is involved in all of those. So, so not only I got to work in a big international company with pretty complex processes, but I also got to see a different air, you know, different areas of that company. So after working in audit for four years, internal audit, I ended up receiving a promotion to consolidations slash international accounting group to a supervisor position. That was my first people management position. It was a super fun job. And I did it, you know, it was my pleasure for two years and I got recruited by Microsoft. Wow. And honestly, looking from perspective of time, I really, really enjoyed working for IGT. It was a large company, but it was, it had family feel to it at the time. There was, we called them lifers, tons of people that worked 20 plus years, entire careers at IGT. So, so everybody knew every, it was a super nice environment to work at. And, you know, the consolidations group, that, that was a really fun job as well. A lot of, I still continued on that, you know, big picture, wide range of, um, of processes path. And I got recruited to Microsoft. And Microsoft really is where my experience with operational accounting started. And I was not really actively looking to change the jobs, but I you know, I was very impressed with someone recruiting me, not me looking for a job. It made me, you know, it flattered me. And then I was curious about, you know, how a company from front newspaper pages, how do they do it? You know, I felt like there's so much to learn for me over there. Turns out grass uh, Uh is not greener. On the other side, it's just more grass. <laughs> so <laughs> while I really enjoyed working for Microsoft, I discovered that their processes were not really more sophisticated than IGTs. It was just bigger numbers, essentially. And funny enough, it turned out that Microsoft actually operated on the same system on SAP. So so, <laughs> so my job, other than moving from you know, financial reporting and consolidations to operations, accounting wasn't that much different. I worked for Microsoft for a couple of years, and then I got an opportunity to skip a couple levels and from senior manager to go straight to the VP position at private company. And I, that one, I was nervous. (laughs) Because I realized that I wasn't 100% ready for it. But I also figured it's a great opportunity. You can always go back to lower level. 
but who knows when another opportunity like that comes up and I'll get to actually drive all the decisions uh, rather than, you know, executing someone else's decisions in a big accounting organization. So I took it and that was probably the hardest job I've had, to be honest with you. I came in at the time where the company was going through, the accounting organization, not the company really, was going through major changes. They committed, whoever was my predecessor, committed to converting to new payroll system, converting to new accounting system. And both those projects were behind, like substantially behind. So what we had to do, we had to roll up our sleeves and literally do both at the same time, which I absolutely do not recommend to anybody. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of those is hard enough at a time. Yeah, it's, you know, it's it's not only hard on the implementation team, but just as massive amount of change you know there's some people that will say hey let's just rip the band-aid off don't (laughs) (laughs) it's you know you can rip the band-aid off with one system okay like this it's like i said it's hard enough the change is scary and you you kind of you have to keep some stability and sanity in the department so this this whole converting to systems at the same time that was insanity and we did it but it cost us a little extra money because we required additional additional post implementation support in order to make sure that everything works good because of the pace we implemented it at so from that job because of my personal circumstances my husband you know got a great job here in southern california and we you know, discussed what we will do with that and decided to move to Southern California. And moving here was very eye-opening to me. In the arena, I pretty much knew everybody in the accounting um, group. (laughs) And here was completely new environment for me. And I had zero network here. I knew no, I didn't know anybody, essentially. So finding a job turns out without having a network support to do that, was proved to be quite challenging, to be honest with you. And I did have a couple opportunities and they did not turn out to be that great. You know, my uh, one of the jobs I really liked, uh, I was laid off because of COVID. And current job I'm in actually is so far the best opportunity I have gotten. And I would like to stay here for a longer period of time. <laughs> so to say, to say that my career was planned out would not be the truth. A lot of it was timing and opportunity arising and me just grabbing it. So. Yeah, I think that's true for so many people. I I know that's true for myself. Yeah, because, you know, many times like you think, oh, I can plan to, and especially in interviews, you you hear the question, where do you see yourself in five years? And (laughs) really you have 
maybe you have some plan for five year long term long term period, but then life happens and you know, whether it's positive circumstances like opportunity for me to become the v the first VP job or negative, like being laid off. And you have to pivot really quickly <laughs> and rearrange your plans. Yeah, I think that five-year question is a little ridiculous, but <laughs> I'm sure it serves a purpose. I don't ask it, to be honest. With you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so just out of curiosity, when you came to the United States for a vacation, where, where were you coming to? I went to Reno, Nevada. Okay, I thought maybe uh, Las Vegas. Reno. No, no, there was a, actually, I don't know why Las Vegas did not have the similar program, but it seems like Las Vegas is the year round destination and Reno is a little more seasonal. And there used to be a program uh, like a work and travel, it was called program for students in just vast array of countries where you could work seasonal jobs in America and just travel a few weeks after that and then go home. So, so I, I did come to that program once and then went back to Poland, finished my degree and came back to America one more time. And then I just, you know, enrolled in local university and just stayed on student visa and, and the rest is history. And it's, the rest is history. That's right. <laughs> So what does your current organization do? My current organization, we we are kind of a niche business. We support large mobile carriers and our major line of business is uh, lease negotiation services. So we contract with a large carrier like AT&T or Verizon Wireless and we receive a list of their lease contracts for cell phone towers. And we have a team of lease consultants who reach out to landlords and, you know, they, they renegotiate the terms. And sometimes it's just a renewal of the contract. And sometimes we renegotiate some reductions as well. So let's talk about operational improvements. Can you tell us a bit about some of the projects that you've tackled over the course of your career? I know we touched on your trial by fire with the system, uh, both the platform, the accounting platform and payroll, but. I have uh, just to maybe start with the most recent. Um, when I started, uh, working as a VP of finance slash now CFO with my current company, Black Dot Wireless. At the same time, the company purchased an analytics platform. It's called Domo. And it is um, it is a platform that, you know, you, you integrate your systems and it, it can act as data warehouse where you can merge, you know, integrate data from different systems, but it also creates, it allows you to create this very elaborate analytical dashboards with, you know, a bunch of KPIs and, and it's the beautiful visualizations. Um, so my main task was to wrap my head around this platform and just create 
all this matrix for accounting. To be honest with you, I've never worked with Domo before. <laughs> I've never but, heard of it. I, I've used a pl- uh, tool called Tableau, which might be similar. I have not used Tableau, but I've used it's similar to Power BI. Okay. Yeah. It's a Microsoft product. And I've used that one when I worked at Microsoft and it was a big change because it turned out that, you know, we can really automate a lot of reporting. I was able to automate massive amounts of reporting. So first and foremost, just payroll detail, all of our LCs, lease consultants, they work on tens and tens of sites, lease sites at the same time. And they are commission-based. In the past, someone would create those, the detail for which sites they're getting commission for manually and was distributing them manually. So essentially it was one-for-one relationship. You know, you create a voucher, send it to the lease consultant. So I do not like to do things manually. So, so I automated it. And right now I literally, I don't even have to, you know, go and change a filter. The Domo, I linked the data and depending on what date it is today, it pulls last payrolls information. It pulls upcoming payroll information and it displays it. I have dashboards set up, separate dashboard for each lease consultant. And what was about three, four hours of work is now zero hours of work. Same thing with financial statements. I used to have to go to this super outdated FRX reporting tool and and run all the reports, clean them up, and not a case anymore. It's all in Domo. It's all available to my executive team. They can go and see at any time. Same with... uh, all kinds of trend analysis also don't have to do that anymore manually. So yeah, saved a lot of time. <laughs> yeah. Tools like uh, that are a game changer. Yes. Yes. You, you do not want to really go, you know, on a recurring basis and do all this manual work that, you know, it's, it's just, just busy work. It's not really something that requires, you know, judgment and decision-making. Yeah, or that no, it's any easy value. To, yes, those tools are great. They they aggregate the data. They make it, you know, they make it, the visualizations are just amazing. So, so that was one of my projects in my current position. Another one, we have decided to switch from like, a, a you know, payroll supporting system where you still have to have an HR system, ADP, I'm sure everybody's familiar with it, to a PO provider. So so people, employer organization, I don't remember what it's stood for, something like that. Something like that. We use one too. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, uh, it was a very eye-opening experience because I have never worked with PO before. And they do take on a lot of the HR and compliance responsibilities, as opposed to ADP, where you have a tool, but you really have to do a lot of legwork yourself and you have to have HR in-house. And so switching to the PEO, we are with Trinet right now, 
I think the biggest part of my job with that was to really review how the system was implemented. When I came in, the system was like maybe three months old. So basically everybody's still learning. Turns out there were a lot of little things that were not in line with our policy, like accruals or, you know, accruals for PTO and sick time or the pay period was ending on the pay date. So the accountants had to essentially prepay for four days of uh, payroll, you know, and then reconcile it after for any overtime, for any vacation taken. So it was pretty nightmarish, to be honest with you. So what we did, we, we basically, I had my team, I had my team, you know, on point and we, we just worked on stabilizing the system. So we really worked on making sure that all compliance is covered, that everything, all the rules set up in the system are matching our company policies and, you know, what we communicate to employees that it's happening. And it took me, I'll be honest with you, it took me probably six months to untangle all that, but I think we're done with that one. Domo is an ongoing project because there's always something new that CEO wants to see or other managers want to see. But that one, I hope, I hope we're finished. Yeah, those tasks can, when you dive into the details like that, it can be daunting, but ends up being so worthwhile in the end. I agree. I agree. You know, the, the, for once you're compliant, you, you will not, especially in California, uh, where labor laws are very strict, for once you're compliant. And secondly, you're really saving yourself time having to assist employees with understanding their information and, you know, communicating that, hey, you know, this one doesn't accrue correctly. So your balance really is, you know, it's this huge inefficiency that that you get rid of and kind of shift towards self-service where employee can answer their own questions just by going to the to the website and that releases some resources. So looking at the projects you've taken on, how is it that you decide what projects should or should not be pursued? I usually start with learning about um, about the processes and I'm I like to understand what my team is doing. And I mean, transactionally, not just conceptually, but I like to understand the process itself. So oftentimes I will ask my employee, walk me through it. I want to do it once just to understand what's being done and how it's being done. And that's how I identify the bottlenecks and and biggest resource hoggers and and usually for me, you know, when I perform the task, like process payroll, just for me to understand what the workflow is, right? I feel like as a new person coming to, to the organization, it's easier for me to see the inefficiencies versus someone who's done the process, who performed the process for 
many years and is just used to the way it's being done. And when I look at the process, it always takes a balance between which inefficiency is the biggest resource hogger and how much time it takes to fix it, to correct that process. Sometimes you will have not a huge win, but it's so easy to fix that you just do it. You just do it and move on. And then I always look at the prerequisites, right? Like, is there something that needs to happen before I fix this process, you know, this inefficiency I really want to fix? So for example, right now, my company, my accounting operates on great planes, GP Dynamics now. Whoever set that up, set it up as multiple databases, as opposed to single database, multiple companies. The problem with that is that those databases do not talk to each other. So in order to run multi-company reporting, you either go through Domo or other reporting system, or you have to run the reports I think we have 11 entities right now. So it is major inefficiency. I really want to fix this. I am ready to pull the trigger. I have the groundwork done. So I had a consultant set up a consolidated database and I have chart of accounts cleaned up for that new database. However, my company is going through a reorganization. So we are closing some of the entities and creating a new entity to, for whatever legal reasons. But I do not want to consolidate the databases and then have to re, you know, make major changes to it. So I did as much as I can to be ready to do it but like I said, I do not want to do the redundant work. Yeah. So I always ask, for example, why are we doing it this way, right? Like sometimes you think about automation and I've met people who want to automate absolutely everything. And <laughs> many times you just have to ask why. Why are we doing it this way? Because... Many times it's just not worthwhile to automate. You know, if you have a manual piece of work that you have to spend 30 minutes every two months, there's just no reason to go through automation. Once every couple of months for 30 minutes, just type in those numbers. <laughs> <laughs> it will be fine. <laughs> also, many times, you know, process improvement, you will improve something and you have to think about the maintenance as well. You know, sometimes you will implement pretty complex solution and you have to think about how much work will be put into maintaining of that solution. So maybe, I, I don't know if I'm clear. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, you create a, a complicated solution and then every time something changes you're yes. going back and trying to untangle a mess sort of yes 
Yes. And then you think about, you know, scalability. Okay. How does my solution affect changes in volume? How does my solution affect changes in the, in the process? So a lot, that could be a lot of work, right? So things that are performed infrequently, tasks that are performed infrequently and tasks that do not consume that many resources, sometimes it's they better just left the way they are because you will put a lot of time into automating it and, and the cost-benefit value is just not there. Yeah, and just going back to something you said earlier about how you like to know how everything's done, I think it's important that a CFO, even though they might not want to get down into that level of detail, but it's hard to identify areas where problems exist when you're not familiar with every aspect of a process and and how it's done. That is correct. And to be honest with you, I'm pretty sure that if I was a CFO of a very large organization, I really, my job would look very, very different. Being a CFO of smaller organization requires you to really wear different hats. Mm -hmm. You have to be ready to be hands-on because you're, you know, you, you will have to do some work. You do not have enough employees to cover everything between them. You know, someone will go on vacation and you'll have to help the team out a little bit. Yeah. Same with the, you know, same with the, the uh, process improvement. Usually the employees that I have are, you know, consumed with the run stuff on like just day-to-day responsibilities. And I, I, I encourage them to propose process improvements and identify the pain points that they're facing. But like I said, it's not like they by themselves can just jump in and, or that we have designated team to do that for us. You know, we have, we are it, all of it. (laughs) Yeah. And like you said, sometimes fresh eyes are important too. Yes, absolutely. Someone who's not in the process every single day and knows it like the back of their hand. That's correct. So how do you know when a process is good enough? In other words, how do you avoid over-investing in something? And you might have touched on this a bit already, but... Oh, I have. However, there's so many variables, right? Firstly, we talked about cost-benefit. You will not implement, and this is a very extreme example, right? But you will not implement SAP R3 at a small services company like ours. Sometimes, I mean, sometimes, most of the time, you look at the operations and you look for solutions that are affordable, the best possible affordable solution, right? That meets your criteria, covers your needs, And you do want to look a little bit towards the future. So you have to consider whether you will need to scale the process. So do you need to buy shoes that are a half size too big because your feet will grow? Possible. And that's something, that's one of the criteria that I use for selection of 
of a software, for example. So the process is good enough. Uh, you just have to consider a lot of criteria. So first of all, how complex is the process that, that you are improving? What are acceptable errors, you know, for the, for the business? Why are you improving the process, right? Is it for the sake of improving because you can? As an example, when I started working for a government contractor, the close was taking 10 days. And I just jumped out and I was like, oh, I can close in three days. And one of my employees was like, but why? And, you know, that was very big eye-opener for me because, you know, this is where you ask, why am I doing this? Turns out government did not want the financial statements from that government contractor until 10th day of the month. So really there was no good reason to rush and put all this stress on employees just to close so we can say we closed in three days. That's a great example. Right? <laughs> Although I really wanted to do it, but <laughs> I just, I really talked myself out of it because there's just, you have to think about parties involved in it. And if you can't really justify it to yourself, how are you going to justify it to people who actually do the work, right? Every month. So when you're looking to make an improvement, how do you ensure that you're pulling in the right people? That is another conundrum with a lot of variables. Uh, first of all, you have to understand who the stakeholders are in the process. So I have been a part of a group, accounting group where engineering made some background changes to the accounting system and accounting was never at the table and accounting actually did not understand the changes so when i started working there and wanted to you know looked at numbers they were not fully reconciling and there was nothing on the front end that explained those variances so when i work on the process i like to understand the entire process end to end and i like to understand whether I am truly improving the process or whether I'm just making my job easier. Because many times you will improve process on your end and it's like a balloon. It will pop up somewhere else. In some different form, someone else will have to do it or quote unquote, pay for your improvement with extra work somewhere else in different part of the process. Yeah, that's true. It's something I hadn't thought of. So it's very important to really understand. And for example, when I worked at Microsoft, that was very, that was probably the most difficult part of my job is to understand the processes because they were so vast. The company itself was so vast that, you know, you would have parties performing pieces of the process all over the world. So it was even hard to find the stakeholders. But, you know, another variable is how big really is your organization, right? If it's a very large organization, you will have to put a lot of work into finding the stakeholders, but also your resources to do almost any project will be in-house and most likely available to you at some point in time. Not right away, perhaps, but you just queue yourself up, make your case, state your case and 
hopefully you'll get those resources. In smaller companies, you have to be, you have to be a little more prudent because your resources are usually much smaller and projects are essentially additional work, right? So it's not like you have project accountant that works just on projects. <laughs> you just have accountants that do it all. Yeah. And many times because of smaller resource pool, you will have to pull some outsourced resources, which are usually pretty expensive. So, you know, your case has to be very good. <laughs> so the process improvement team, like I said, you have to understand who should be involved and understand the size of resources because you will have to at some point compromise especially in small company so because of resources regarding change management uh, it's often one of the hardest steps of an improvement process so how do you overcome organizational resistance and get people to start doing things in the new way there's several ways to do that and you can limit the resistance, but you will not fully eliminate it. There's always a lot of uncertainty because if you introduce new ways of doing things, you're essentially changing people's jobs, right? And that that is their livelihood. So I I try to be very, very mindful of, of the preparation. So first of all, it has to be communicated really well and frequently to everybody involved, then before go live, I highly recommend a lot of training and a lot of training utilizing, for instance, with a new system. I like to have a sandbox kind of, and you know, you, you create scenarios. You literally just create scenarios of each task that for instance, accountant, accountant performs and you work with business consultants, with subject matter experts in that new process on how to do the same task the new way. So people, you know, the employees learn how to do their job the new way and it builds a lot of confidence, right? The side benefit may be seeing hey, this really is saving some time for me. And they practice, so it doesn't feel daunting when you go live, right? Very important is to make resources available for post-go live support. You will do a lot of training prior to going live, but there's always something you don't know about the new system, always. And usually those gaps become apparent during month and close <laughs> where you really need to scramble. <laughs> so it's, it's very important to make sure that employees know they have support, that they have someone to turn to who will remove the obstacle for them to do their job. I, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a pretty big fan of kind of killing the, old system at the cutover day. I do not like the parallel processing after the go live. It 
carries a lot of risk. You know, first of all, it's just doing the same work twice. Secondly, it really is tempting to many employees to just, oh, I don't have time, so I'm just going to do it the old way and and move forward. So there's no going back. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Assuming that, you know, we... The implementation is successful. So, yeah, and just just be there for your employees, right? Like go through the process with them. Go through the learning, go through the testing. And it helps when your team sees that you are involved in it and that you will help them move past whatever obstacles they might come after going live. And I guess you touched on this a bit, but also having gotten, I guess, identifying your stakeholders and having gotten their buy-in along the way probably is a good thing to do too. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, getting buy-in, it's usually the easiest way to get buy-in is to quantify your results, right? So if you can quantify the savings, whether it's time or money, mostly everybody cares about first and foremost is time savings. Yes, you can get much further than just saying, hey, this is fancy system that we would like to use. (laughs) No, you might want to add, this is fancy system that will save us X amount of hours and X number of hours and X amount of dollars by using it. Because usually, you know, process improvement there is investment associated with it. It's not just, you know, it's not free. (laughs) (laughs) So are there any tools or technologies that you've used or use for business process modeling to help illustrate what is versus what should be? I have not used tools extensively just because usually I try to improve accounting processes that are the variances are not that big from one company to another, other than like the size. <laughs> but usually you have the same goal of, for instance, with the close pro- month and close process, you try to figure out how to squeeze X amount of work into Y number of days without hiring additional employees and incurring as little overtime as possible, right? I have used Gantt charts in the past, but not extensively. The way I like to approach that is sit down with my accounting team. I already mentioned about me actually performing the processes, but I also like to sit down with my employees and just make a list of all tasks that need to be completed. Then I go and identify, you know, we talk about the tasks, we understand what they entail, we understand what the prerequisites are to each task, if they have any. And there's always some tasks that can be pushed out before the close. A lot of items are closely related and as such are left for month and close, but really you could do them before the actual month and close. Like for instance, payroll accrual. You can accrue your payroll month earlier if you'd like to, because you already know the number of days you will be accruing for, and you already know materially correct now amount of your payroll, right? 
So a lot of accruals can be pushed, should be pushed out before the close. A lot of journal entries you can do, you can convert them to accruals as well. A lot of, you know, that your estimate will be pretty close and materially correct, you know, and then the next step is to just organize the tasks on a timeline and have a tracking tool where you sign off on, on when you complete it, you know, each, each tasks is scheduled for a certain day and, and your team just goes in to whether it's some systematic tool or whether it's just shared spreadsheet and signs off on when they complete it. So you can monitor your process and also the team members can see when they're good to go with their piece of the process. Yeah, I'm sure that helps you identify the bottlenecks too within the process. Oh yeah, yes. So lastly, on a more personal note, what's something that you're looking forward to accomplishing either professionally or personally in 2021? Oh, professionally, my dream for this accounting organization is to eliminate paper in our department (laughs) because it is a small group and the volume of journal entries is not that large. There's still a lot of paper. I, I, you know, every day I see journal entries support on paper (laughs) and especially that our system does have capability of uploading, scanning and uploading support to the system, which scanning or just uploading a spreadsheet, if that's, you know, if calculation is your support, but I do wait to, you know, for that until I consolidate the databases. So here's the prerequisite again. But it's, I think it will be fairly easy to do in this accounting. So I would like to do that by, 20, by 2022. Personally, I'm learning Mandarin, Chinese Mandarin. Wow. But I have, oh, don't, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I have quite poor results. It is very difficult. My goal would be to be able to read like, you know, simple kids book by the end of this year. Wow. Uh, yeah, I've heard that that's a very difficult <laughs> language to learn. It is extremely difficult. And I'm just focusing on reading and, and speaking. I, I didn't even start on writing and Oh my goodness. <laughs> so it's something I just I just figured that with COVID and you know working remotely, I could spend my some of my extra commute time productively and, and learn something new. But yeah, it's it's it, this one's more challenging than I thought it would yeah. be. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like you've got your work cut out for you. That's correct. <laughs> Magdalena, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed speaking with you and hearing about your experience and advice on how to implement operational improvements Uh, to all of our listeners. I hope you've enjoyed this episode as well. Please tune in next week. And until then, take care of yourselves. If you're ready to boost efficiency and streamline your accounting processes at significant cost savings, it's time to talk with Personiv. Their people-powered solutions have transformed the delivery of back office tasks and general accounting functions for decades, partnering with clients to provide everything from accounts payable to payroll services. See what Personiv can do for you by visiting personiv.com. You've been listening to CFO Weekly presented by Personiv. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to hear all of our episodes. Want to learn more? Check out personiv.com. Thanks for listening.